Welcome back to the program. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is On Point. Uh, a story that we've been covering all day today is Ontario's new announcement uh, about more funds uh, for private clinic surgeries in a bid to what they say stabilize the healthcare system. Um, how some long-term care patients are going to be um, moved to different facilities depending on uh, depending on how much room there is, uh, with the hope that they can be moved back to a closer or their preferred location. Uh, in 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 the coming weeks or months, all of this is raising a lot of concerns about where our healthcare system is headed, and whether this is another move towards privatization, which is something that in Canada we have enjoyed uh, universal healthcare for decades. It's one thing that we hold dear, and uh, we are very proud of. Often, when we're compared, for example, to the United States, uh, I wanted to get more insight into what exactly this announcement means uh, for us um, as Ontarians. Um, as individuals who use the healthcare system, some more, some less, uh, I want to welcome Bacchus Barua. He's the director of the Fraser Institute Center for Health Policy Studies. Uh, Bacchus, uh, welcome to the program. Good evening, Rubina. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for uh, making time for us. Uh, your reaction to the provincial government's announcement uh, about what they want to do to help stabilize, they say, the healthcare system. You know, I, I think it's important to just um, start with some context of where we are right now. We are um, either getting very close to or are in the midst of a crisis when it comes to the healthcare system. Uh, we have uh, an immense amount of staff burnout. We have ER closures um, and we have some of the longest wait times um, in the developed world, which we had before. But now there's certainly much a, a lot longer. Um, absolutely. COVID does play uh, a significant part in this. Um, but this is a an issue that's been uh, mounting for years, I would say, um, and it's just COVID that's kind of pushed it over the precipice and, and resulted in the situation that we are right now. Now, once you are in or close to a healthcare crisis, you have to look at the best tools at your disposal. Um, and I think in this announcement, um, what uh, the government is saying that is that one of the best tools at their disposal is or are um, the private or surgical independent clinics that are, are that are out there, um, and they're partnering with them in order to publicly fund services and surgeries so that patients who are waiting can actually get treated. So, you know, I think this is uh, a step in the right direction. Uh, it's not unheard of. Um, there are several examples within Canada where we can talk about uh, where this has been tried before very, very successfully in a lot of the cases. Um, but it's, it's really, I, I would temper it by saying that this is a, a first step. It's a Band-Aid solution. But sometimes when you're hurting, you need a Band-Aid. And that's, that's what this is. And I think it's really important what you just pointed out, that this is not that we are going to be paying out of pocket for healthcare. It's just that it will be administered in a private healthcare setting that already exists. And this is going to be used as a way to take some pressure off uh, the healthcare system, the hospitals, the clinics that have been overwhelmed, like you mentioned, for the last two and a half, three years. Um, you you mentioned there that there are other countries that have done this successfully. Can you give us some examples of um, how they have been successful? Oh, absolutely. You know, if you look around the world and look at other countries with universal healthcare, and, and I know that might be uh, shocking to 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 some uh, some listeners, but there are several other countries with universal healthcare. Canada is not unique in in that purpose. Um, when we look at the 27 other countries with healthcare, partnering with the private sector is is really the norm, actually, um, and doesn't in any way endanger the universal nature of the system. Most other countries realize that you need to put the patient at the center of the model rather than 
whether it's public or private, and use the best tools at your disposal, either using the private sector as a pressure valve when the public system isn't able to cope with the demand for services, um, or as a partner. And so, for example, if you look at a country like Australia, they have a very, very long uh, history of partnering and contracting private surgical clinics with the government actually incentivizing uh, individuals to take a private insurance. When you look at Germany, they have um, a substitutive system where you either are in the public or the private system, so long as you can prove that you have the funds to take care of yourself. Um, and in Switzerland, you know, a country like Switzerland, which is really, you know, amongst the top tier when it comes to the, you know, availability of physicians, beds, wait times, you name it. Um, they actually have a deeply integrated system between the public and the private system where uh, it's so integrated that it's actually difficult to tell apart which hospitals are public and private so long as there's universal coverage. So there's a lot of precedence and of this sort of approach around the world and even further than this. But there's also a lot of um, examples within Canada. Now, the most obvious ones and the most recent ones relate directly to, to, um, to the COVID backlogs that we've been seeing over the last um, two years. Um, we have, you know, for example, in Alberta, part of their surgical renewal or restart plan um, was exactly this, which was partnering with private clinics to deliver publicly funded services. Um, and even in, in British Columbia, where the minister has been actually quite vocal uh, about, you know, the the uh, importance or sanctity of a public healthcare system, uh, even in British Columbia, they've been contracting out services to private clinics because they understand when you have a resource at your disposal and you have a long wait time, you want to use that tool, you want to use that resource to actually deliver services. And it doesn't really matter from the government's perspective or shouldn't matter whether it's public or private. And I see exactly this being mirrored over here. I will say there is actually also one very, very notable example that should be brought up, and that is the province of Saskatchewan, which had something called the Saskatchewan Surgical Initiative, on which I think a lot of this is modeled. This was started in about 2010 and ran through till about 2014. And they did a number of different things. They did things like, you know, a centralized pool patient referral system so that um, patients are matched with um, the physician at the shortest wait time. They had a different lean management system. But one of the things that they did out of the box was exactly what we're talking about 10 years later right now, and that's contracting out services to private clinics. And when they did that, not only were the private clinics able to deliver services at a lower cost per procedure, it was actually 26% lower cost on average. And that, you know, uh, relates a little bit to the, the fact that the devil is in the details and you want to make sure that you're structuring and incentivizing this well. But they also help manage get wait times down in the province. It went from having an average wait time of 26.5 weeks to an average wait time of 14 in, in 2010 to an average wait time of 14.2 weeks in 2014. Um, and this is very directly related to what happened over there. They were able to immediately deliver more services with existing capacity paid through the uh, paid through the public purse. Now, in the years, um, in the in the subsequent years, wait times have gone up even in Saskatchewan because, as I said, this is a first step. It needs to usually be followed by further reforms by looking at things like patient cost sharing, by looking at how hospitals are paid, are are are, are paid, whether they're paid according to activity, like it is in most other countries, or whether it's paid according to global budgets, like it is in Canada. But you know, I I think. At least this is a first step. This is trying to do something different. This is trying to say what resources that we do we have and how can we use them to deliver publicly funded services. What kinds of procedures can Ontarians uh, expect that would be done perhaps in a private clinic? Uh, I'm looking, I'm thinking back to when my daughter was born. She was in the NICU for two months. And there were times where she needed a procedure, but we had to wait because 
uh, there was a baby that was of greater need than she was. And I was thinking like, would that have been a situation? Like she had to get a pick line, for example, um, uh, because the IV, it wasn't, she was so tiny that it wasn't, it wasn't working. So they had to send her to another hospital to get that done. I'm just trying to think of, you know, what procedures can we expect will be then uh, transferred to these private clinics uh, going forward? Um, first, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, 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 and um, I'm, I'm grateful and glad to hear that, that, that things went successfully um, as, as they turned out. Um, you know, I, I don't know the specifics of exactly which procedures are within um, the purview of these, of these new contracts. But from experience in, you know, British Columbia and Alberta and Saskatchewan, these are usually pertain to day surgeries. Um, there are reasons why that's the case. That has partially to do with um, what's defined as a major or minor surgery. It has to do with um, whether that particular clinic is also providing services um, that are purely privately paid. And that goes into the Canada Health Act, which puts all sorts of impositions in terms of um, whether these, um, uh, whether, whether, these ser these services can receive public and private funding, but that's kind of precisely the problem. It shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't be a situation where, uh, you know, you can only do certain surgeries, but you can't do others, or it shouldn't be a situation where, um, you know, for example, physicians or, or, or nurses are forced to make the choice between the public and the private system, which many provinces actually have restrictions on, although it's not actually a, a requirement of the CHE. Dual practice where physicians and nurses and, and so on and so forth can work in both um, both these areas is actually again the norm in most other countries, and that's because these countries realize that um, you know physicians are important healthcare resources. So you let them and incentivize them to do as much uh, work as they can, whether it's in the public or the private sphere, and don't force them to go into one or the other. So um, again, you know, I'm sorry, I don't know the specifics of, of of where this is going right now. My guess is that it's probably. Uh, minor surgeries and day procedures, usually what I call elective surgeries, um, you know, with, mm. with urology and general surgery and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I won't have the specifics further than that. Yeah, that, that would make, that would make sense. I don't, I can't imagine like open heart surgery will be done, you know, at a, at a private clinic. I think that would still be, uh, you know, isolated to hospitals and, and publicly run hospitals. Um, there, the other announcement she made, we don't have a ton of time, uh, was that long-term, uh, those, those who are waiting for a, a bed in a long-term care home, uh, may be sent to a place that's not of their choosing and later be transferred, uh, to a place that is of their choosing. Uh, your reaction to that, because, uh, you know, I know with my elderly parents that they don't like to be told that what they thought was going to happen is not happening. And so I think there's that element of it as well, that it can be very upsetting for a person uh, to know that they're going to be shuffled around into to many places. Yeah, you know, I, I should say up front, I'm, I'm not an expert on long-term care. And uh, although we have we have a wonderful senior fellow, Yannick Labrie, who is an expert on it, and, and I'm sure he'd love to come on your show at some point. Um, but I will say that, you know, just the, just the issues that we're facing with long-term care um, is related to you know other issues that a lot of other countries are having with aging populations. And what they're doing is that most other countries are shifting to what are called aging at home policies, where they recognize that you know a purely institutional view where you have to go into a long-term care home, whether it's of your choosing or not of your choosing, uh, even just going into one of these institutional homes is probably not uh, what elderly um, patients uh, would want on their own. A lot of them would prefer to actually age in their homes with support from the outside. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously it's an it's an unfortunate situation uh, in any circumstance where where uh, individuals cannot choose uh, where they are aging. Um, but I do hope at the very least, um, you know, this opens the discussion about what choice actually means 
um, and whether that choice can actually be expanded to those patients' homes themselves. Uh, Bacchus, thank you so much for joining the program today and giving us your insight into this announcement that was made in Ontario. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show, Rubina. That's Bacchus Abarua. He is the director of the Fraser Institute Center for Health Policy Studies, uh, talking today uh, talking about today's announcement about some changes that are coming to our healthcare system. Some uh, so, some uh, procedures will be done now at private clinics. We don't know the exact details of that. And also uh, patients or, or seniors who are waiting for beds in long-term care homes uh, may have to go to a home, not of their choosing, later to be transferred to a home of their choosing as a way to stabilize, they say, the healthcare system. We are going to take a break. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck. This is On Point.